Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to our Women Nation Services Morning. We are so glad that you are here. Um, I'm excited. Um, we get to learn from the Book of Hebrews and get to grow uh, through God. Uh, if you are new and this is your first time, welcome. We are super glad to have you. Um, just a few things before we get into the talk. Uh, well, one big thing actually is uh, next Sunday is our last talk in Hebrews, uh, and the following week, Friday, is our last Friday new illumination for for a while. Uh, we're going to be taking a little bit of a break from teens uh, for about four weeks, and then we're going to come back and um, see you guys again. Um, and the reason why I use the word see you guys again is because we're going to change things up a bit next term. So uh, next Sunday, uh, the first Sunday when we get back, uh, we're not going to be meeting like this where you're watching a YouTube video, we're actually going to be using Zoom. Um, but if Zoom suddenly freaks you out, don't be freaked out by Zoom. Um, I know many people get freaked out because they think that there's going to be one massive group of people and it's just going to, and Zoom is just doing all over the place. Don't worry. The way we're going to do it is we're going to first meet together as a big group for a few minutes, maybe try and play a game amidst the, the, the group of us, and you can just sit back. You don't have to partake as much if you don't want to. And then what we're going to do is we're going to break away to smaller groups, um, and we're going to try, depending on the amount of people, we're going to try and see if we can break us into smaller groups within our grades uh, so that you can feel more comfortable and you can have a, a better environment to share with one another and to pray with one another and to read the Bible with your illumination leaders. So I think it's going to be epic. Um, we'll let you guys know in advance before that Sunday is actually going to happen so you will know well in advance which Sunday it's going to be. Without further ado, let me pray and let us get into the book of Hebrews. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that it is a powerful word and that it changes lives. Uh, and I pray now that your Holy Spirit will work on me, that your Spirit will work on those who are listening, that uh, you will uh, grow both of us in your word, that you will give me the strength to teach pro uh, properly and to teach faithfully from your word. Uh, and I pray this in your name. Amen. Let me tell you something. You were made for greatness. You, you might not think this, but you, yes you, I'm pointing at you through the TV or through the device, whatever you're watching, I'm pointing to you specifically. You were made to shine brightly. You were meant to be amazing. And some of you have thought this, not in a vain way, but perhaps you've looked at the world around you, you looked at your life, and you've thought, my life's boring. It's mundane. There's nothing exciting about it. And you thought, surely, surely there must be something more than this. Surely I'm made for more than this. In fact, you probably feel a little bit like uh, Belle in the movie Beauty and the Beast. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. It's a Disney film. And in the beginning of the movie, there's this song that she sings. And she sings with the rest of her town. Um, what's it called? Good morning, Belle. It's the song where as she walks into the town, she, she starts singing and greeting everybody in the in the town. And as she's singing this song, uh, she she's talking about just how mundane and boring her life is. 
So while it's a great song to introduce you to the town, it also shows you the main problem that Bella's facing. The world is mundane. So she walks past the baker. She's like, there goes the baker with his trademark always. Um, the same old goods he has to sell. And then she goes like that through every person. And you just kind of see that, that life isn't what it should be. And that she feels that she's meant for something greater. And you know that she feels that because there's a part of the song that she gets to where she says this line, there must be something more than this provincial life. There's got to be something more. And you might be feeling it. You might be you might be failing at school because you just feel like academics isn't your thing. I should be made for something greater than this. Perhaps you're feeling that you're bored with life. You just think the same thing's happening over and over again. Perhaps you're anxious, and perhaps your anxiety is happening because you, like I said earlier, academics just really isn't your thing, or, or perhaps academics is your thing, but you feel like you're meant for something more than this, something outside of academics. Well, in today's passage, we see that we are made to be great. We're made for something more than this provincial life. We're made to be great. We're made to shine God. Now we're in the book of Hebrews, if you've, if you've just joined us. And um, just to give you a quick, very quick overview, if you, if you want to know what the book of Hebrews is about, it's really showing how Jesus is better. And throughout the book of Hebrews, the author continually shows us that Jesus is better than, than everything. So in the, in the beginning of the book, in chapter 1, he shows how Jesus is better than angels. So clearly the people he's writing to, the context, they were worshipping angels. Uh, and you'll see uh, next week in chapter 3 that uh, Jesus proves to be better than Moses, uh, which again is someone who was held up very highly, uh, held up in high regard for the readers that the author of Hebrews was writing to. Now, for our passage, uh, a verse that is really important is, um, actually, never mind about that. I'm going to skip past that. Um, so I want you to uh, look with me from verse 5, um, because we're reading from verses 5 uh, to 18 of chapter 2, and this passage shows us, actually, that God has made us to be great. So if you look in verse 5, it says, um, Now it was not to angels that God subjected to the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, when you read through the book of Hebrews, one thing that you need to do is if you see a reference to something in the Old Testament, it's a good idea for you to go and uh, find that reference and to read the entire passage that uh, is being referred to. Because the Hebrews writer, what he'll do is he'll only give you a small section of that um, passage because he assumes that his readers actually know the full passage. Um, we obviously don't know the full passage, so we've got to go back and find that full passage to read it. But his readers back then would have actually known their Bibles pretty well, almost all by heart. Um, so what he's referenced here in our passage is Psalm 8. Um, and now Psalm 8 is a creation psalm. And what I want us to do is I actually want us to go back 
and to look at it. Um, so find your Bibles, uh, flip back to Psalm 8. If you've got a big Bible in front of you, all you need to do is just, you know, grab the Bible, open it directly in the middle, and you will actually find your land on the Psalms, and then just flip back a few pages and you'll find Psalm 8. So Psalm 8 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, uh, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, if you look at this passage, you'll see two things. Um, you'll see some, Well, you'll see something great. And that is the passage is all about God's majesty. So if you look in verse 1 and verse 9, uh, you'll see that they say exactly the same thing. Um, so they almost appear like bookends uh, to this passage. Um, and both of those verses say, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So that tells us that this passage is about majesty and it's about God's majesty. And the part in between shows us just how majestic God is. Now, if you look at the first half of the psalm, it shows us that God's majesty majesty is seen in creation. So if you look at verses 1 through 3, um, you'll see it says this. Uh, sorry, the second half of verse 1. You have set your glory above the heavens, which means the stars. We can see God's majesty and glory in the stars. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. In other words, we see God's majesty in children, and that majesty is so, so powerful. God is so powerful in children that he can choose to use them to silence enemies. And then it says, when I look at your heavens, again, looking at the stars, um, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Just before I get to verse 4, I want us to stop there, um, because... What he's saying is when you look at creation, when you look at everything around you, you can see just how majestic God is. Now, when I was uh, in high school, what I'd often do is I'd, um, if I was having a tough day, uh, I would uh, go for a run into the, the forest that was right by our house. Um, and what was really beautiful is I'd run all the way through the forest and I'd get to the other side and there was this really amazing valley and mountains, and just beautiful green hills, and uh, this beautiful blue sky in the background. And as I would do that, I would pull up my Bible, and I'd just start reading Psalm 8, um, to remind myself of just how majestic God is. Because when, when you, you read Psalm 8, and you look at that creation around you, it just reminds you that God is actually just a brilliant artist. He's not an average artist. He is an incredible artist. And as I'd stand there, I mean, I wouldn't just look at the sunset and go, wow, the sunset is beautiful, because you and I all know that a sunset is just a really good sunset is beautiful. But I'd look at all the leaves, and I'd just be amazed at the fact that every single leaf is different to the other one. 
I mean, it showed that God, God wasn't just an average artist. God paid so much attention to every detail. You know, he didn't just use one thick brush and paint the world. He used a tiny brush. And he put intricate detail in, into everything. And the end result is just this beautiful, beautiful picture. And so because of that, because creation is so beautiful, we never, none of us ever look at creation and go, wow, that's average. Perhaps what happens is uh, we just get used to things in life. But when you go on holiday or when you go to a beautiful place and you sit and you see perhaps you're looking over, the, over a savannah or you're looking over the ocean, you can't help but just go, wow, God, you are, you are a gifted artist. You don't make stuff up. You make incredibly gifted work. Now, as I was reading Psalm 8 in that moment, I would just be so just in awe of who God is, and I'd just spend time just being awed by God. But then I'd get to verse 4. And verse 4 says this, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? In other words, as the psalmist is writing, He's seeing God in creation and he's seeing just how majestic and how amazing and how great God is by looking at all the works and all the art that is out there. And then he goes, but wait a minute, God, if, if you are so great that you create all of this, if you are so majestic, why on earth do you think of us? Why do you think of me? I'm... I'm not worthy to be thought of. In comparison to the rest of your creation, I am just a small, insignificant figure. Why on earth do you think of me? And then the, uh, the author of Psalm 8 does something amazing. is He says, God, not only do you think of me, not only do you think of humanity, but you have made humanity more glorious than the other things in creation. Because look at what he says. Carry on reading from verse 5. You have made humanity, him, a little lower than the heavenly beings. In other words, you've made humanity a little lower than the angels. Nothing in creation outside of humanity has given that high an esteem that we are just below the angels. And you've crowned him, humanity, with glory and honor. Nothing else in creation has been given a crown, has been crowned with glory and honor. You have given humanity dominion over the works of your hands. Nothing in creation has been given a role of looking after creation except for humanity. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths. In other words, everything that we saw that is great in creation has been made subject to, has been, these are the things that humanity are managers over. So God has made us more majestic than the rest of creation. And because of that, he looks more majestic. So, what does this mean? It means that when you and I look at the rest of creation, 
we can do like what they do in those really cheesy chick flicks. You know, in those really cheesy chick flicks where the guy looks at this beautiful view, you know, like they park the car somewhere and there's this beautiful, um, there's this beautiful view in front of them and they, and, and he, they're looking at it and they're going, wow. And then the guy looks at the girl and goes, you're even more beautiful than this beautiful view. And at that point, you're just like, that is just cheesy, dude. I'm sorry. You're just trying way too hard. And we feel sorry for him. But you know what you can actually do that is similar to that? Is you can go to a beautiful view, and you can look at that whole beautiful view, and you can then look at yourself and go, but I was made even more beautiful than that. And that is why I would pick up Psalm 8, and I would read that when I got to the end of that forest. Especially, as I said, when I was having a bad day. Because there were times in my life, and maybe you feel this as well, where you just feel stupid. Like, I felt stupid. I, As I've told you guys before, there were times when I was, when I was at school, I would work my socks off and I would be lucky if I got 60%. As I've said to you before, in fact, for me, 60% was an A. <laughs> and so I would work hard at this exam and then I'd come back home and I'd look at my results and just be like, you know, how stupid am I? And I would ride to the end of the forest and then I would look at Psalm 8 and Psalm 8 would remind me that although I think I'm stupid, God didn't make me like that. God made me glorious. God crowned me with glory and honor. God made me a little lower than the angels. And sometimes you, you might be like me. Sometimes I felt useless. Like sometimes school was so hectic. There was just so much work that I was doing that I was dropping balls, that I was making mistakes. And I just feel like a useless human being. And once again, I'd run to the end of that forest and I'd open up Psalm 8 and I'd see all this creation and be reminded that God made me more glorious than the stuff around me. I'd often look at myself and feel ugly. I'm short. I have extremely white skin. <laughs> I can joke about that, but sometimes I would feel really ugly. I'd have pimples on my face. Once again, Psalm 8 would remind me that God didn't think I'm ugly because God made me to be glorious. Now, as we get to the second point of this talk, and it's going to be a little bit shorter, you might be asking, but wait a minute, why don't I always see the glory that God has made me? And that's a good question to ask. I mean, surely, you know, if I've been made in the glory that this passage is talking about, then I should see it in every day, that perhaps I'd be more intelligent because I'm gloriously made, that I'd be more... Um, that I'd experience what it really means to be the man manager of all this creation, that I'd really know or somehow feel what it's like to be a little made a little lower than the angels and to be crowned with glory and honor. Why don't I see that majesty? Why is there still so much imperfection in my life? Why are there still so many faults and things wrong? You know, surely if God makes things, he makes things perfectly. And yet I don't see that perfection in my life. Well, the author of Hebrews agrees with you, because if you look at verse 8, he says, Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. 
At present, we do not see everything that is in subjection to him. Sorry, that's verse 8 of of chapter 2 of Hebrews. So the author agrees with us. We don't see that kind of glorious picture we have in Psalm 8. In other words, although we know that we are made amazing by God, we look in the mirror and rightfully we see things that are wrong. And it looks like the creation that God has made is actually imperfect. Well, the truth is, God made the world perfect, but you and I know what happened at Genesis 3. That while God made the world perfect, humanity chose to reject that God. And when they rejected that God, the world fell. Sin entered. The world became broken. Uh, When the relationship between us and God broke, it meant that the relationship between us and humanity broke. It meant that everything fell apart. And because of that, we willfully choose to not live for God. And because we willfully choose to not live for God, there's evil in the world. I've said this to you before a couple of times. Genesis 3 is really showing us God taking a step back. Genesis 3 shows Adam and Eve living in the perfect world. And God says, you may not eat of a certain tree. And he's doing that because he wants them to... Because he's doing that because... He's giving them an option to not follow him. So he says, listen, you can follow my rules of eating all these fruits, but don't eat that fruit. And if you eat that fruit of that tree, then I know you don't want to actually follow my rules. In other words, you don't want my leadership. You don't want me to be in charge. And so the moment they eat that fruit, that for, that forbidden fruit, God says, okay, it's a sign to me that you don't want my leadership. And so God takes a step back. And when a good God takes a step back, The only thing that can fill that place is evil. And so the reason why there's so much evil in the world, the reason why there's so much imperfection in the world, the reason why there is so why we look in the mirror and why we don't see that perfect person in Psalm 8 is because God has taken a small step back. But there's hope in this passage. God doesn't stay with a complete step back. Verse 9. But we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Jesus, who is God, stepped into earth. He took not just a step back, he took a step into our shoes. He became a man, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Do you see the words from Psalm 8 there? Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So although we don't see the great person God made us to be, we see Jesus. And Jesus is God. And God stepped into humanity. He took that step back. And what he did was he died on the cross. And his death, as that verse says, was a death for everybody. In other words, he said, you know what I'm going to do? Is Here's a problem. I see that humanity has rebelled against me. They don't want my leadership. Fine, I took a step back, and now they've seen what the world is like when they take a step back. It is full of evil. Now, a good God can't just let that evil go unpunished. 
So what God said is, he's like, you know what? The wages of sin is death. But I'm not going to let you pay that wage, humanity. I'm going to come in and die in your place for you so that you can be freed from that death. Now what is the result of Jesus dying on the cross in our place? Carry on reading verse 11. For he who sanctifies, that means cleans us or makes us better. So for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Sorry, not that verse. Um, the verse 10, just before that, uh, I don't have the passage in front of me. Uh, I think it's removed from my notes. But verse 10 says that because of Christ's death, we have been glorified. Now that is incredible. The death of Christ has meant that the glorious image we were made in in Psalm 8 has been fixed. He's repaired it. Now our time is short, but there is a lot of great things that come out of the fact that we are now glorified with Jesus. I'll just mention them quickly uh, for the rest of our passage. One is we are made family. Uh, if you look in verse 11, it says because of what he's done on the cross, we are now no longer, he's not, Jesus is now no longer ashamed to call us brothers, family, brothers and sisters, family. Uh, it means that we no longer have death at the end of our lives. If you look at verse 14, since therefore the children, which is Jesus and us, but the, the kids share in flesh and blood, because uh, we are all God the Father's children, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of the death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. So in other words, he's defeated death. Well, he's defeated Satan. And Satan holds, uh, he holds our death. So if we die, we go to hell. But because of the fact that Satan is defeated, it means that Christ now looks after death and he chooses where we go. And it's not to hell, it's to heaven. I could say so many more things about that. Uh, and I really want to. Um, there's so many more exciting things. Because if you think about it, any other life that you live where you think is going to make you great, still can't defeat death. If you think being the best CEO of a company is going, to is going to make you great, that's awesome. It probably will make you great for a while. But in the end, death is going to get there. And because of the nature of death, you don't know when it's actually going to happen. So you might not even get to what you think is the goal of your life, CEO. You might die before then. And that makes your life purposeless because your whole life's purpose was to be CEO and now you've been cut short. Uh Death is a terrible thing. The only real cure to death is Christianity. But one final point uh, that I love about this passage, um, and that is what it says at the end. This is one of the final perks about the glorious life that Jesus gives us. It says, For because he himself has suffered, verse 18, when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So if you want to have a verse for the day or share an amazing verse with your friends, it's verse 18. Because it shows us that, I mean, if you actually read through the rest of that passage again, you see that God has made us glorious 
through Jesus' death on the cross. But the way Jesus died on that cross is he didn't just come down straight away and die on the cross. He came and he lived in our shoes. He suffered for three years in our place until he finally died in our place. And the glorious thing about that is that we don't have a God who doesn't identify with our struggles. We don't have a God who doesn't identify with our suffering. He knows the road we're walking in. So let me end off with this and say, there are so many other ways that you can be made great. Um, but I think this is part by far the best way, and in fact it's the only way. Um, and it's the only way that offers a life where you get to walk with a God who identifies in your struggles. Because in this life, we're not going to be completely great now. We will be completely great when we're in heaven. But through this life now, we've got to walk through dangerous and horrible times. And many of you are walking through the loss of loved ones. Well, Jesus lived on this earth, and he lost people. He lost John the Baptist, who was beheaded. He lost uh, Lazarus. He identifies with your pains. Um, Jesus knows what, it le- what it's like to live in poverty. He knows what it's like to, to not have a meal. <laughs> I mean, for many of his life, he spent walking around without a home. He identifies what it's like to have friendship issues. Um, he had his friend Peter, he had his, most of his friends disown him before he died on the cross. He knows your struggles. So come to him and share your struggles with him. Because he knows what you're going through. Let me end off there and pray for us. Father, I just thank you so much that you have made us glorious. And thank you that because of that, you shine all the more glorious. Thank you that our greatness is is not for ourselves, it's for you. But in so doing, you make us amazing. And we are so thankful for that. And so, Father, I pray today that we may look at ourselves and just be rejoice in who Jesus has made us. You made us great, and Jesus has brought us back to that greatness. And Lord, I know we won't see it now. I know we'll see it in heaven, but that doesn't mean that we can't rejoice in it now. So Father, won't you help us rejoice? And I pray this all in your name. Amen.